The NCAA gets involved in trying to regulate NIL, I guess, sort of, kind of. <laughs> Will it matter? <laughs> we'll discuss on this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance along with Johnny Gender. You know, Johnny, we've been talking about NIL for the past year, and, and you and I in the past couple of episodes of this podcast have been talking about how it's become the wild, wild west uh, with not only the influx of NIL deals on the regular recruiting trail, but also the allegations of tampering and such in the transfer recruiting trail. The NCAA, maybe, oh, I don't know, five to 10 years too late, decided to get involved and issued some new guidelines this week specifying that boosters can't make NIL deals with recruits, which, you know, just cleared the whole thing up, really, top to bottom, solved yep. all the problems. It's fixed. It's fixed. Everybody can stop complaining now because now it's all good. Everything's great. Mark Gimmert is on his way out the door as president Grand High Poobah of the NCAA. And last week I said we would, you know, tap dance on the corpse of his career uh, in this episode. And, and to me, this guidance from the association office uh, this week is maybe the best evidence for why this cat has been an abject failure uh, as leader of the NCAA, more than 10 months after college athletes were first allowed to begin profiting from their name, image, and likeness, as reported uh, by a great piece by Dan Hope uh, at 11 Warriors talking about these new NCAA plans, they've finally gotten into the game and will begin cracking down on recruiting violations. But my problem here is how on earth do you shoehorn this genie back in the bottle after basically abdicating your responsibility to manage this situation for the better part of a year uh well you don't i mean that's that's the real answer like it's it's you can't you really can't un undo what's already been done and the thing is is like you know you read you read what they have here right they define the boosters and this perspective student athletes and blah 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 fine but the real issue is, is that because, as you said, they've been kind of like running rampant for about a year now, uh, all of those connections, all of those pipelines, all those things have been established. And if you want to break those up, you will be Elliot Ness and go out there and start smashing, you know, barrels and stuff. Well, cool. But you got to have some kind of enforcement power. Um, and I don't know that anybody's out here like worried about the NCAA. So like to me, this is like a crossing guard you know, in, in Times Square telling people not to jaywalk. Like, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, buddy? <laughs> Give me a ticket. I'm going to rip it up in front of you. You don't know who I am. Bye. And then just leave. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how they manage any of this. And frankly, honestly, you know, people are like, well, you know, they should have tried earlier, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't know the NCAA really ever had the wherewithal to do that unless they decided to have made this move 20 years ago or something like that. But in 2022, man, Who's afraid of the NCAA? Who, who cares about breaking one of their rules? Is anybody really going to like shake in their boots at, you know, a, a recruit or some other student athlete who might've talked to a booster about NIL? No, I don't think anybody cares about that. And I don't think that anybody is really worried that the NCAA is going to be able to enforce any of this. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I'm trying to think when the last meaningful NCAA compliance enforcement investigation was, that's not to say that they haven't issued you know, various sanctions, clearly they have, but, and maybe it's just because I'm still salty about the way, uh, Jim Tressel was run out of college athletics on a rail for 
I, I mean, one yeah, of the dumb, but let's, one okay, of, one we of always the dumbest infractions. That, man, but, in, yeah, because it, in hindsight, that's it looks so incredibly dumb. Yeah, because the whole thing was is that you should just ignore the NCAA, right? Yes. You should like, yes. like that the was the lesson. That would, the lesson to really be taken from that, like we can talk about that as salty Ohio State fans. That's fine. But the larger implication of that was stonewall the NCAA at every possible opportunity, deny any wrongdoing, and if they try to levy any kind of punishment, fight it tooth and nail because they'll eventually back down. And that's what we saw in a lot of the subsequent stuff, like Penn State, Miami, all this other stuff. You know, NCAA tried to play tough with them, and it did not work. It did not work because these other institutions were like, no, we're not. We're going to play hardball. We're not going to go along with you like Ohio State did for incredibly minor crap. And yeah, that's that's the lesson. That's the real lesson to be learned from this. And and think the NCAA about this: can be stonewalled and defeated. Yeah, and think about this big picture. Like, what is, the NCAA has no subpoena power. Yeah, what you know, is, they, yeah right. They, what what are what are they going to do to compel a member institution? Like, what's the stick? You're talking about the carrot and the stick. What's the stick? Yeah. I don't know that they have a stick really anymore. You I mean it used to be the fear of sanction. I mean, you need to go back to SMU and the death penalty and some of these kind of things. They're not doing that anymore. And no. they're, and, and I mean, even you look, Google back to the, the, the Joe Paterno uh, scandal at, at Penn state. I mean, fast forward, what, three years, four years out of that. And everything was back to normal. It was like right. nothing ever happened. And to me, that was, you know, one of the worst you know, cases of institutional failure to control ever. Yeah. And like if you looked at penn state today nothing there's yeah. there's would no would you lasting. ever have known that they no. had that i mean no, no if you not. just parachuted into this timeline and had no not you would never in a million years think they had been subject to any kind of ncaa enforcement action right. so you know today i don't know what the stick is for the ncaa aside from declaring an individual athlete uh eligible or not but there back to what you said if you're a member institution and you tell the ncaa to go piss up a rope what are they yeah. going to do about it? Yeah, what are they gonna right. do about it? They're not going to do anything about it. I honestly think, I really think that there should be some kind of like, I don't know, maybe, shoot, maybe that's what I write on Thursday. There you go. Uh, I, do, for you. I got to do some, like, I got to do some uh, untouchables. I, I really want, can you, I mean, that movie, <laughs> you know, I know we've turned this into like Andy and Johnny's movie review hour. It's the, the off season. We do whatever we want. Who cares? <laughs> I, I, as a kid, I just love that movie so much. Sean Connery. Uh, I'm a sucker for anything with Sean Connery in it, but like that was the first, I think that was probably the first Kevin Costner movie. And I saw a bunch, I mean, he had a boatload of movies when we were coming up as kids. Right. And they were all, yeah. I, I mean, my I wife, say will, they're all good. A well, no, no. I mean, like good. my wife will stand for Waterworld, believe it or not. Uh, Waterworld's not even the worst one. Waterworld is, is weird, but fine. The, the worst one is really, is really, uh, was the Robin postman. Hood. Oh, Robin. Oh, yeah, well, okay. Now, but see, I enjoyed Robin Hood for what it was, probably more so for the late great Alan Rickman. That yes, now, Water, I mean Robin Hood is hilarious because stand so for Alan Rick, but Alan Rickman was great, right? Yeah, no, I, yeah, because he's Alan Rickman. He's amazing. Alan Rickman, but he's just he, he was amazing. God rest his soul. That guy was yes. incredible. Uh, Ten Cup, my dad and my little brother still quote Ten Cup regularly. Old Durham, really good. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Absolutely. I don't like Field of Dreams actually. I'll, I'll be the heretic and say I don't like Field of Dreams, but I think I, you know, and I will say I have not watched Field of Dreams I 20 years probably. It, yeah. It's been it's not one of the, you know, it doesn't get a lot of play on you know, channels that you just use. It's too slow, that's why cuz it's it's hard to like, you know, break it up into 
I think it into like a TV palpable kind of thing. It's it's just it's it's a weird kind of movie, honestly. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, the baseball movie I watch most frequently, oddly enough, is probably A League of Their Own. That one seems to get a lot of play. Uh, one yeah. you know when you're like channel surfing and Tom Hanks, just Tom Hanks and Gina Davis were both ex- exceptionally good in that movie. It was a really well cast movie. I mean, even Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, they were great. They, they, they were great in their roles. really well. I mean, there were some like when you just look at the cast list, you're like, eh. It was some, and then you watch, and you're like, this is a fantastic movie, really. Yeah, uh, John Lovitz, you know, there's a guy who had just like, <laughs> you know, he had a, you know, he had a cumulative total of about seven minutes in that film, and John Lovitz was, ah, yeah, he's ridiculous in every movie. Yes, he's great. Yes. he's fantastic. <laughs> he, I was, uh, you know, we were talking about Phil Hartman a week or so ago, mm-hmm. uh, and we watched the Three Amigos. You, you remember the Three Amigos? With, of course, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, one of the one of the great comedy films actually one of one of my era. son's one of my son's uh nighttime songs is blue shadows on the trail that's, that's amazing oh my god i love that yeah and you know i'd forgotten just you know hartman and john lovitz uh you know a studio toadies in the first what you know five minutes of that film right. and i was like oh my god i'd forgotten these because you just always think about the rest of the movie you kind of forget the first few minutes of their fall from studio great also anyway. by the way sorry to interrupt but no, related to this and to bring it back full circle to ohio state please do. um so carlos hyde who you know his handle is el guapo el right guapo. okay well so i i'm the guy who came up with that right i i started calling him that and then he picked up on it after we started using it more on the website and whatever but yes. um it, the reason why i did that is because i was writing uh, well, I was, I was making a poll actually, and it was like late at night and I was just kind of screwing around and, uh, three amigos was on TV. And so I was, just, I was like, oh, that was a cool name. I like that. And so I just used that. So the three amigos actually is, is why carlos hyde's nickname was el guapo i i I knew 11 warriors originated the nickname and i assumed it was because of the three amigos yeah but my i just happened to be watching it if if i was watching like you know i don't know if i was watching like dr strange love he'd be yeah (laughs) dr strange (laughs) i don't always say gattaca gattaca pops in my head if i was watching dr strange love he would be like you know what what's what's the name uh there's another movie i haven't watched in 25 years yeah I, I love that we went from the three amigos to gattaca because if there are two movies less alike than the three no they're amigos both they're gattaca. both buddy movies and <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> yeah no it works out perfectly ethan uh, hawk and jude law is exactly the same as martin short and yes. chevy chase they yes. pretty much the same very energy so. <laughs> anyway sorry back to our friends at the nc2a and their inability to enforce anything uh and these new guidelines i feel like are a reaction to the sentiment that the ncaa has done and is doing nothing to enforce i I think they've got coaches who are going to you had uh pacific 12 commissioner pacific 12 does anybody call it that no no they don't (laughs) pac 12 commissioner and the sec commissioner going to capitol hill last week to lobby congress to pass federal legislation and i think the ncaa we're like, you know, oh, maybe we should do something about this. Right. And they basically referred back to their own rules to say, hey, hey, boosters can't do this stuff. Don't do it. Well, it's bad. 
And then maybe that's just their effort at trying to say like, oh, no, we're trying, guys. We're trying. Believe me, we're trying. Let me look. Look what we just did. We just showed people that we have rules that exist that we're not enforcing. So clearly we're trying. I I just don't see how they will get. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. You can't put this genie back in the bottle. Texas running back B. John Robinson signing a, a Lamborghini endorsement deal. Yeah. Uh, we, we, you know, and, and Ohio State is not uh, you know, like out here, not doing anything had a, uh, I mentioned Dan's piece about the new regulations. Dan also had a a great piece, uh, over the weekend about Ohio state's NIL collectives and the fine line they're walking between trying to stay competitive and trying to stay compliant. You know, it, it's not easy. I, I think particularly with this, this guidance clarification to say, what is okay and what isn't when when clearly schools are trying to weaponize as they should uh and and maybe weaponize is the wrong word but schools are trying to use nil to their advantage certainly we have said from the outset that ohio state has an advantage because of its size and scope and reach and power and uh, the strength of the brand and so on there's a recruiting advantage there um so it is a fine line i get it and i get why athletic directors and coaches are, are begging for some sort of regulatory certainty, I guess here, but to me, the NCAA didn't provide any regulatory certainty with its release this week. Well, it's interesting too, because of Gene Smith's position. And I feel like he's, he's trying to get ahead of it and and kind of figure out how Ohio state fits in all of this, which is great. But I also think that he is doing it in the NCAA framework and to me that's just that's not going to be helpful at all you know what i mean like i don't know that that actually like (laughs) i don't know that that's the really the lens that you should be looking at this through um because of just how messed up the ncaa is has gotten and you know how ineffectual they are in general it's it's just odd that he's you know trying to parse this but it it just feels like he's doing in the wrong arena yep absolutely and he's a guy who's really good at both being you know, a visionary thinker. You look at what he's done with Ohio state's athletic department during his tenure, but then also he's a guy who's definitely going to ride for the brand and, Mm -hmm. and play within the sandbox, you you know, with regard to the institutions he's, he's a part of. So he's not, he's not a guy who's going to come out, particularly given that he's serving on this working group uh, Mm -hmm. to deal with NIL and be like, yeah, man, we totally screwed this up. Uh, So, you know, his comments over the course of the past several weeks have been really interesting because he has been saying, some pretty forthright things about, you know, there's some, there's some issues here. Uh, so we, maybe that's the solution. We just need to get uh, mean gene on the program. So um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, if you are a loyal listener to the dubcast, I assume you are, uh, why wouldn't you be? Uh, we'd love to have you on the show. Come on and let's, let's talk about it. Uh, and maybe we'll solve the problems. Just uh, the three of us. I, I think we could do it. I think it's a good idea. I think it happen. Other sporting news related to the Ohio State University and specific to its football program. Buckeyes will play a home-and-home series with Boston College in 2035 and 2036. The home-and-home series was originally scheduled to be played uh, in 2020 and 21. This is, I think, the third time it's been pushed back. Uh, It's pushed back a couple years and a couple more. As it stands now, uh, you and I won't be in our dotage yet. I don't anticipate being shuffled off to the home, uh, but I think there's a pretty good chance that at least one of our children will be students at Ohio State when this game uh, is actually played, if it's actually played. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be in my fifties. <laughs> that's yeah. dumb. Yeah, that's very dumb. I think that's incredibly dumb. And I, by the way, and I mentioned this in my piece last week. Uh, we we keep operating in the assumption that okay, well now they'll be played. No, it won't. They're gonna push it back again, and that game will just never happen. Period. And it's it's funny too because like you look at the Georgia series, which I do think will happen, but that got pushed back multiple times yes until it finally landed where it's at and somebody in the comments made a really good point that i'm kind of po that i didn't mention in my article which is like <laughs> big basketball teams can do this in a second right like why is this yes. so hard for football I, granted yes you have more games and you know a larger schedule to, to deal with but like it really shouldn't be that complicated um and i think a lot of it too is just like i don't know part of it is they want they want to be able to like advertise it build it up blah 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 and that's fine but for the sake of the game my general point was is that you've got declining attendance viewership numbers are still pretty good which is nice but if you want to get people into the stadium and butts in the seats you have to try to maintain some kind of scheduling inertia and constantly pushing teams back and saying like well i don't know and we've got this team coming in 2032 who cares at that point that's not a motivator for anybody to go see the team now right so yeah you should start scheduling these teams on a yearly basis and it yes. shouldn't take a decade or more to get them on the roster now ohio state doesn't really have that problem in general because they have had these teams scheduled so ridiculously far in advance that now you've got texas you know alabama you know oregon etc coming in on a regular basis but the problem with that is that you have no idea how good those teams are going to be when you finally play them and as i mentioned washington was a marquee team that they had on the schedule i think 2007 2006 ish yep. or i think it was 2007 2008 around then and when they scheduled washington washington was a perennial top 10 team by the time they played them they were trash right? Like they had Jake Locker and nobody else. Yep. And so when you schedule Texas, it's like, yes, Texas, they're always going to be there, you know, powerhouse forever. And they've been awful for the past decade. Yeah. Texas is basically Nebraska now. Yeah. Which is, that was hilarious. That, that, that tweet comparing the two blew my mind. That was wild. And, and by the way, it's not just that Texas is essentially Nebraska. It's that Texas has like 17 since that 2009 big 12 championship game they had 17 uh five-star recruits something like over a hundred four-star recruits 158 158 yeah compared to basically nothing for al or for nebraska and you got the exact same result so texas is is a garbage program right now and doesn't look like they're going to get significantly better anytime soon so by the time you end up playing the longhorns they're not, it's not a marquee matchup. It's not 2005, right? It's not 2006. It's not, you know, going in and seeing these top two or three, you know, teams play each other. And that's the problem. The longer you wait, uh, the more your returns are going to diminish. And that's why they really got to get some movement on this stuff as opposed to, you know, waiting until, you know, as I said, that Jeff Halfley and, and Ryan Day merge into a singular entity and then it becomes a mood anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, the odds that either of those guys are coaching. No, that's the thing. They're not even going to be coaching. That they, I, they'll either, either be that in the NFL or retired yeah, or, right. you know, it's not on just, Mars. It's not the odds that both of them will be coaching. It's that either of them will be coaching at, yeah. at, at their respective universities. I mean, Halfley is not going to be at Boston College that long. And, and I, I'm with you. I think, Ryan, Day, there's a better chance than not. That if you ask me to put money down 
on would Ryan Day be coaching at Ohio State or would he be off to the NFL before the Boston College game? I would definitely take the, the I would not bet that, oh, yeah, he's going to be here. He could be. I'm not saying he won't be. It's possible. But I think it's much more likely <laughs> that by the time this game rolls around, if ever, that he could be a head coach in the National Football League somewhere. All right. Anyway, right. the um, the thing about the schedules, I've never heard a compelling argument as to why they can do this with basketball and all of the non-rev sports. You don't do this in wrestling. You don't do this in, you know, in, in, in basketball is a great example. You don't do this in any other sport, but for some reason, the dozen or so games that we play every year in football have to be scheduled a decade in advance. That, that makes right. no sense to me. And then you end up with this situation because of the, the issue you, you wisely highlighted with, you don't know whether these teams are going to be worth a damn or not, where you say, okay, next year you have Notre Dame. That's or this fall. You have Notre Dame. Fine, fine. You've got Notre Dame in 23. Fine, fine. That's a nice uh, marquee. And they're going to be a decent team. Good, good. Then you come to 24. And I honestly, when I looked at the 2024 schedule, I was like, God, they don't have even any power five opponents on here. And it was, it was Washington, you know, we were talking, so you were talking about Washington. And I was like, oh, wait, no, that is a Pac 12 school. When I, but when I first looked at it, I'm like, I'm like, there's no big ticket team there. Then you go to 25 and you got Texas and Washington. And you're like, all right, that's, that's okay. That's, but, but then you realize like neither of those teams is going to be a top five team that year, probably. But, but you at least do have two P5 opponents. That's great. You know, Texas in 26, the Alabama game. I mean, got to wait. We got to wait another five years before this right. Alabama series. If it happens again, the odds that Nick yeah, Saban is coaching Alabama back in 2027. Yeah. Zero. Do you, do you, do you want to, I mean, do you want to take that bet? You know, no. what's Georgia going to look like in 2030? Right. That's, that's damn near 10 years from now. I, so, you know, to me, scheduling a football game more than five years in advance seems you know, like what's the point? Uh, and, and beyond that, it's just laughable that, you know, we're talking darn near 15 years into the future on these Boston college games. I don't get it. And I've just never heard a compelling argument for why they're scheduled that way. And, and none of the other sports do it. I've heard arguments. I just haven't heard a compelling one. Yeah. You Agreed. mentioned the, uh, you mentioned the Texas Nebraska comparison tweet friends. If you haven't seen this, look it up. It was on the, uh cfb on fox on twitter so fox college football account so the gist of it is that since the 2009 big 12 championship game when nebraska and texas played one another the teams have nearly identical records uh nebraska is 82 and 68 for a 54.7 percent win percentage uh out of 151 games the longhorns are 83 and 68 so you're i mean you're talking about the same number of losses uh, Texas has one additional win. So the same record, their average points scored and allowed almost identical 30.2 points per game scored for the Huskers, 30.6 per game for the horns points allowed almost identical 26.2 points per game allowed for the Huskers, 26.7 for the horns. And, and oddly enough, they have similar numbers of draft picks 35 and 37 it's not until you get down to those recruiting stars, O-M-G-M-D, 17 five-stars for the Horns to zero for Nebraska, 158 four-star recruits for the Longhorns, 158 to 72 for the Cornhuskers, more than twice as many four-star recruits plus 17 five-stars, and they've done diddly squat yeah, with it. That's, that's pretty bad. And a lot of it, you know, here's the thing. And that's, that goes to kind of this whole discussion, which is like, even if 
you have all of the like you know name recognition and branding and, and awesome talent pool in the world if you don't know how to manage your program and get good hires and coaching and have a healthy relationship between the people who are supporting the program and the program itself, uh, then it's just, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all for naught because you're just going to screw it up. <laughs> and right now Ohio state has a really great situation, uh, but that can go away. And um, I don't know, you, you can look at Texas as an example of, you know, similar things when, when that does not go well. It just blows my mind. Just yeah, blows hilarious. my mind. All right. That's uh, that's a good time to check into the favorite segment of the program. Yours, mine, all of our friends. Ask us anything. Ask us anything like the Dubcast as a whole is brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, T-shirts, stickers, all kinds of goodies there. You need to replenish your summer wardrobe. The, the, the weather is finally broken here in central Ohio. The grass is green. The sun is warm. Maybe time for you to dust off on 85 yards through the heart of the South t-shirt. You'll look suave and feel good wearing it. Drygoods.11warriors.com. What have we in the mailbag this week, my friend? Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, the, uh, if you want to send us a question, which you always should do, um, it's dubcast at 11warriors.com. Uh, this first one is from Nelson who wants to know, I'm about to move on from Netflix. Good choice. Uh, what is the best streaming service? No kids, so no Disney for me. Yeah, I was going to say Disney Plus was was definitely top of the list in in our house, but I still think it's pretty good. They got a lot of good stuff on there, even if you're not a big Disney fan. Like, well, and and because although I will admit it is very much just Disney, but if you like, you know, Marvel and any of the Marvel movies, Star Wars or whatever, you know, anything in the Star Wars catalog to speak of, uh, yeah. you know, they're they're there are a surprising number of things that think, of course, um, because of, uh, Disney's purchase of the 20th century Fox catalog, right. they'll have, uh, the Simpsons on there. So if you're Simpsons yep. fan, you go back and binge watch that, uh, you can watch the third of the series. That's actually good. And actually not even a third anymore. It's, it's more like literally like a quarter, but can I, anyway, can I admit to being an absolutely horrible parent for a minute. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so little, <laughs> yes so, you may the little to thousands I, of people on the internet i i introduced the little tyke the other night to ralph wiggum and we found like a combination Fantastic. A, a compilation of like ralph's greatest moments on the simpsons via youtube oh, nice. that's pretty good <laughs> i hated the purple berries uh, me fail english that's impossible and oh, super my. nintendo chalmers there's super a, nintendo he's got a chalmers, lot of yes yes there's yeah, so he, many good anyway and i felt bad afterwards because i'm like oh you know, like as a kid, I, you know, growing up watching that show, Ralph was hilarious because he's, you know, an idiot. And my wife said to me, she's like, you shouldn't be laughing at that poor boy because he clearly has problems. And I'm like, that's true. I'm going to hell. Thanks, honey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but his, you know, he's a great actor. The, you know, I love Lisa is an incredible episode. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got some talent. That's okay. Yeah absolutely so i don't know i mean but if we're accepting if, if none of that floats your boat and if we're accepting disney plus i think i don't i find it impossible to find anything good on amazon um i know there probably is good stuff and i know obviously it's a gigantic company and they've got you know but for whatever reason i just don't the stuff there just does not appeal to me i don't know why um i, I think the only thing we've watched on prime video frankly has been like green acres and, yeah. and we and we had to pay for a fair bit of so so not everything that we watched via so i feel like 
maybe the first how many ever seasons we could stream for free and then once we really got into it you had to start paying 99 cents or something like that for an right. episode you know you know it's like buying it via um apple you know itunes type of stuff all over again where you're buying a season for 15 right. 16 20 bucks or whatever um so i i i have not found i think we've probably watched like maybe two prime series like there was a my daughter found a, a, a wizard of oz kind of cartoon tv series um that was actually pretty good they only did one or two seasons of it and then kind of it's like died um so we watched that and i feel like there was one show oh i think that's where um i think prime did the neil gaiman sir terry pratchett uh, good omens if you've ever read the book good omens mm -hmm. if you haven't you should totally read it i'm a i'm a huge sir terry pratchett fan and he and neil gaiman did this book called good omens uh which is hilarious and i think it was prime that did the miniseries adaptation of the book and that was really well done but beyond that like movie like trying to find a movie to watch it's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's been hard. a big it's been a big disappointment yeah I, I, if we so... were not prime customers otherwise we wouldn't like i wouldn't get it for the streaming I mean, there is there is the occasional thing in there that I enjoy watching, but it's it's just kind of a it's just a real big crapshoot. I don't really have Hulu. I, don't, I can't really comment on that too much. I think the fact that you still have to deal with ads in the middle of stuff that you're paying for is really stupid. Yep. Um. I so I like. I really don't like a lot of like Warner's catalog. I, I think they have just a lot of dumb stuff, but. The cool thing about HBO Max is you get the like the Turner Classic Movies and the Criterion Collection, all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of really interesting things there. Um, so I, that would probably be my move, honestly. And there's a lot of shows on HBO that I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if, if you want to watch Band of Brothers, you can watch in the entirety of Band of Brothers if you just feel like it. So I think alone, just the HBO content makes it worth it, even if like kind of the ancillary Warner Brothers stuff isn't that great. A so that would be probably my answer to that, I guess. HBO Max was definitely my recommendation as well after Disney uh after disney plus i for the same reasons you said although i mean i there are a fair number of of movies in their catalog that i i like anyway i think one of the things i've been impressed with is the things they're bringing to hbo max very quickly i'm sure that folks in the, the cinema industry aren't super happy about it but the number of things that you can watch on hbo hbo max very quickly from the time that it's supposed to have been in the theater has been has been pretty impressive and i know that's sort of been part of the marketing yeah. hook here um also if you're an at&t customer it's a it, it's a no-brainer because they make the incentives they're pretty um pretty you know like i'm pretty sure we just get hbo max because of our wireless plan or something yeah, like well that. so, that's not too bad either uh yeah, yeah right right so so look into that especially if you are um uh, a customer and plus you know hey uh hbo max is a good play because uh if you're at all excited about the upcoming game of thrones prequel series house of the dragon uh i know game of thrones used to be a regular feature on this show back in the day uh how excited are you or not to hijack ask us anything to ask johnny anything how excited <laughs> are you or not for house of the dragon uh i don't know so so Bo, not at all it sounds like <laughs> yeah here's the thing man like because Bo, when Bo was, you know, doing the dubcast, he was a huge Game of Thrones fan. And that was like as the last season was going on. Yes. And I was super disappointed in the final season. And I oh, it was terrible it coming. Yeah. Well, I saw it coming because they had run out of book and George R. R. Martin was clearly not going to write any more book and is never going to and is never going to. And that's the other thing. Like a lot of people are like, well, you know, he's 
he may not finish the series, but we'll just see when the next one comes out. It's never coming out, guys. It's yeah, never it's not happening. coming out. And I've read all of the book. I've read all the available books, and that's thousands and thousands of pages of content. Did, and did you read good books? Did you read but, the what is what is uh, House of the Dragon is based on Blood and Blood and Fire? Is that what it was called? I don't, I don't know. I've I've read all the mainline books, and I've read like the um, the tale of like Duncan Egg and, and Duncan Egg. Like I really enjoyed the Duncan Egg. Book. It's great. It's fantastic. I, I kind of would. I was kind of disappointed that they didn't just straight up do Duncan Egg. Well, they probably should have because that would have been awesome. Plus, and, it, and it, the source it, material's all there. <laughs> I was going to say, and bonus, and, right? And you've got a character that you've already seen in the actual show, so you can kind of make a connection like that. Uh, who's in it? But anyway, my point is, is that I don't care because I know that none of this is getting resolved ever in a satisfying way. I'm actually more excited for the Amazon Lord of the Rings show than I am this. Uh, and, and that the weird thing about the Amazon Lord of the Rings show is that like, they don't have the rights to Tolkien's like catalog, the right, his actual extended writings. All they really have are the rights to like this very specific time period uh, before Lord of the Rings takes place, um, but not so far before that you're getting into like the legendary stuff. So it's they have they have the access to these characters, but not really the the background of the characters. So I'm, it it may be terrible, it may suck, but honestly, like I'm more interested in something like that because at least they have the opportunity to create something new and interesting versus going back to a world that I know is just incomplete and kind of tripping over itself towards the end of its story and kind of predictable anyway it's just it's not i'm not interested in, in you know the targaryens anymore i'm not because i don't care because i know what happens and it's it looks stupid <laughs> on tv so i don't know it again and i'm saying this as someone who's read all of the books and really enjoys george r, r. martin's writing and think he did a fantastic job with what he actually published but we're just at the point where i'm like i just I can't bring myself to care. The, um, the only concern I have with, cause I could get on board with what you're saying about the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, I, I do find that interesting for the reasons you, you highlighted about the uh, what's in public domain versus what they're, you know, what they're licensed for, not licensed for. I thought that was really interesting, but I think my assumption is that it's going to suck every bit as hard as the wheel of time uh, oh, yeah, adaptation series did. Yeah, so because that's a series that the stunning Mrs. Vance and I absolutely love. If you are into at all ginormous volumes of fantasy uh, on the scale of the Lord of the Rings or or um, Game of Thrones, uh, the Song of Ice and Fire, that is, I mean, you know, Robert Jordan wrote worlds and, and crafted worlds every bit as big or bigger than Tolkien and you know, people yeah. kind of look at Martin as the successor of Tolkien. I, I don't know that I feel that way. I, I feel like I don't think he feels that way either. Like yeah, right, right, yeah. right. He get they get kind of lumped in together, and I don't, I, I, I don't see it quite that way in terms of the scope of the world building. Um, I mean, for God's sake, the number of like dead languages that Tolkien created in this yeah. world, like world, he took world. I mean, he invented the concept of world building in essence. Yeah, basically. I mean, Robert, really like that's, that's basically right. Yeah. Like I mean, he, Robert it's... Jordan is what that like that to me would be a much better comparison for Robert Jordan to Tolkien than Martin to Tolkien. Uh, all, all that said, 
um, love the the Jordan books. Um, some of the ones later in the series, you know, kind of got out there a little bit in terms of like pacing and did this really need to be 1400 pages? You probably could have gotten <laughs> it done in 700 kind of, kind of storytelling. Um, and then unfortunately he passed like George R. R. Martin is going to do before he finished the series, but to his everlasting credit, he had brought on uh, in essence, uh, an understudy, if you will. Right. And, and, you know, basically it gave him the keys to the kingdom and the map of here's how this is going. Uh, and, and the series, um, the author's name was, um, uh, Brandon Sanderson who co-authored right. the final three novels. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, wonderful finish. And if I had any hope that, you know, Martin would bring along a Sanderson kind of understudy co-author type to finish the series. Then I'd be like, eh, fine, take all the time you need. Uh, it's that's not going to happen. Oh yeah. He's refused. He's repeatedly said yeah. that like, if, if anyone finishes this thing, it's going to be him. And if he doesn't finish it, then it's going to be nobody. So, right. right. Which yeah. is cool. The, Thanks. The, yeah. Right. Appreciate all that. the more yeah. reason for me not to care. So, uh, but to the, back to Amazon, I, I got off on a kick there about Martin and, and, and Jordan, but Amazon absolutely butchered the wheel of time. It, yeah. the, the series was an absolute farce. Uh, and, and, and not for the reasons a lot of people on the internet will, will bitch about casting. I didn't really have big problems with the casting. I thought the casting was fine. Um, but it was like, they did some very, they did some things with some of the characters where they just straight up assassinated some characters, like personalities. Um, you know, there's a key character in the first book who, like murders his wife in the heat of battle. And it's like, not only did he not murder his wife in the heat of battle in the book, he didn't have a wife. <laughs> we straight up made up a character for this guy to murder for hashtag reasons. Yeah, <laughs> so dumb. Uh, yeah. And that, so that's what worries me about an Amazon series. That's going to take a beloved fantasy uh, universe and yeah screen I, and that's fair and it could be bad but i'm i'm honestly like i'm just kind of treating it as fan fiction and not worrying good, about it because it good. doesn't really impact like that me. you know what i mean like it doesn't really impact how i feel about like the actual lord of the rings books which i've also read and the you know in the movies which i've seen and, and love um and i love you know i love the book the thing is i don't know i could go on a big rant about this what i really love about lord of the rings um is not you know the fantasy stuff is interesting to me but really it's it's the idea of like a world changing and and i think that's kind of what tolkien as a guy who survived world war one and saw this you know the the machinations of war and and just the industrialization of humanity in general and kind of was appalled by it and and also kind of sensed the inevitability of it and he kind of writes that that attitude into his books which is like there's the death of the old world and then you don't really know what the new one's going to look like and um you know who's going to control that new world and who's going to you know have say so and whatnot and, and so that that is super pervasive throughout his books and i i appreciated something like that um because you know it's not just you know goofy guys with hairy feet and pointy ears you know running around and <laughs> singing songs about crumpets you know for 600 pages like there's there's some really deep themes in it i i like that so anyway i but my point is if amazon goes out and makes a crappy series it's not gonna it's not gonna lessen my enjoyment of that you know and what i took from it so nice uh okay so this next one here this is from our good friend alvin 
who wants to know simply what is the best amusement park and actually i think you're uniquely suited to answer this andy yeah we uh i grew up uh as a king's island kid uh for sure because southern ohio boy yeah uh, but but proximity I have to, yep very much so i mean it was you know gosh 45 minutes to an hour from the house so we had summer passes a couple of years uh mom mom got for us and, and took us down there um that said i have to acknowledge that maybe the coolest setting for a park ever uh is is cedar point uh, ohio's rock and roll i coast. think cedar point's better than king's island TBH. And, and, and i haven't gone to either very often but yeah i the I stunning mrs say. vance would 100 100 agree with you and i and I think, you know, a lot of it is, is that setting that, you know, when you go, when you, when the coaster goes out over the water, you know, it's just, I mean, there's something about being there on the point. That's really cool. Um, yeah, and, and the agree. coasters they have, right. Are absolutely fantastic. Although I got to give, you know, I got to give credit to, to Kings Island. There's some great coasters. I was really uh, disappointed um, that they took out the vortexes. That was the first like big coaster. I remember like mm-hmm. the beast, you know, I remember going on the beast the first time, but like, the vortex was because it was newer, I guess, you know, when I was a kid, like, I remember like feeling like I was a big kid because I went on the vortex, you know? Oh yeah. Um, the last time I went on the beast, I remember thinking that I may never walk again when I got off of it <laughs> because, you know, a 50 year old wooden roller coaster it's... is not the smoothest ride. No, it's not ever. And I didn't remember. I mean, I always remember I'm being jerky, right. Any of the wooden coasters are, but that last time, this has probably been, maybe maybe nine years ago now since i rode that one in particular and i just walked there's like oh my god i've never felt so old after riding a roller coaster in my life (laughs) yeah it beats you up uh i remember going to and i don't know if this is still what they call i think it's i think it's still called um king's dominion but it would be in uh virginia near richmond um so it would have been a sister at the time it was the time i went there it was paramount's king's dominion this has probably been 15 years ago now. Cool. Very similar to King's Island. Felt very similar to King's Island. Um, enjoyed that park. That was that was a nice day. The Virginia countryside is always nice. Uh, I've never done any of the Six Flags theme parks, so I don't really have a good take on um, Six Flags. We went to Universal Studios Florida for the first time this uh, past February. Uh, no, December. December. It was de- December, not February, I think one or the other anyway within the last year and i was really impressed with that had a had a good time obviously the harry potter the world the wizarding world of harry potter is just amazing what they've mm-hmm. done with that is incredible and i'm a sucker for disney but it you've got to you've got to separate to me you've got to separate universal studios in orlando from a king's island cedar point because to oh, me sure yeah totally course. different kind of parks so yeah when somebody asks about a park it's like say like, what are you going for if you're going to ride rides and, and specifically ride roller coasters you know, it ain't Disney or Universal. And Universal has a couple coasters. I mean, there are a couple good coasters down there. My wife really loved the Incredible Hulk coaster uh, at Universal, but that's not what you. That's not why you're going there. It, you're going there for the like the whole, the the show, if you will. You're going there because you're a Harry Potter junkie, or you're going right, right. to Disney because you're a Disney junkie, or you just want that whole experience. Yeah, I would say just in terms of like polish, I think any of the Disney you know parks are pretty pretty ridiculous i mean just i mean the the money involved is absurd but um yeah and and shout i I gotta give a shout out to uh to 11 warriors mod buckeye chief like that guy um if if you want to know anything about disney uh in, in in terms of like the park experience you want like he could he could absolutely start 
like a Disney travel blog or something, because my no. guy, my guy has figured it out, um, and has given me some of the best advice. So, uh, shout out to my guy, Buckeye chief. That, that is a man who has helped me a ton, uh, with, with keeping abreast of all of the changes that have happened to Disney, uh, over the past couple of years, you know, and so on. So, well, uh, I may have to hit to that, that dude up in six or seven years here then, cause that would be, yeah, that would be about the time to have to do well, it. And, and you know, what's been interesting too, for us as Disney, as, I'm a huge Disney fan. That's and, yeah. and that, I mean, of all of the parks that we've mentioned, I, I mean, if you, if you said, Hey, Andy, you've got X number of dollars to spend to go to whatever park you want to go to, which one do you want to go to? I, we would absolutely go back to Disney. In a, yeah. in a heartbeat in a heartbeat and now now if you just said now if you phrase the question as hey you want to go ride roller coasters the stunning mrs vance would be at cedar point in a heartbeat she is an sure. adrenaline coaster junkie and that is her fit. but like overall if i was going to take a vacation if i go to cedar point and spend a day or, or two you go to you go to disney and spend a week um or or, or, right. or more right depending on how big your right. wallet is uh and so that would absolutely be my picking is it's exactly why you said it. I mean, just the polish, the whole experience. Nobody does it as well as they do. Yep. Uh, okay. So last one here, this is from Tim who wants to know if you guys could learn to play just one musical instrument instantly, which one would you choose and why? You want to take a listen first? I feel like I hijacked the last one. No, it's fine. I, you know, here's the thing. I think guitar in general is just a cool thing to know how to do because the thing about a guitar is you can just pull it out and and just play and and you know you don't want to annoy the hell out of people but in in a good situation that's a i think that's a nice it's a nice thing to be able to do like people don't really pull out you know a herm hey guys i got my harmonica with me i got my bagpipes with me i got my you know i got my french horn if you guys want to hear some tasty french horn licks like people don't really do that Uh, so i think the cool factor is is guitar Uh, i don't play any musical instruments my my family is is pretty musically inclined but i am not um my sister can play the piano pretty well and and plays the organ as well um she does a really good job with that but you know who's busting out a piano at a dinner you know what i mean it's like oh sit down and play the piano like that's kind of cool i guess but i don't know i think for cool factor alone um i would say probably just guitar uh if we're going for like straight weirdness though like if i'm doing some like hey did you know that like i'm a virtuoso x expert um i would say something like the theremin (laughs) you know like (laughs) some insane goofy thing the harp like a giant stand-up oh yeah i happen to be a harp expert if you got a harp lying around i can really just like throw down on that um you know like I actually dated a girl once who was uh did the like upright bass. She was really good. and I was like, yeah. that is a very interesting thing to be very good at, but she was great at it. Um awesome. so yeah, I I one of those giant instruments or or super obscure instruments, not guitar, it'd be one of those, I think. The uh the I mean you hit the nail on the head with with how I because I was I was sitting here thinking, you know, I have two answers to this question um as, as i do sometimes it feels like when we have these uh and it's for the reason you highlighted so i i did play some musical instruments in in my youth i joined the school band in i think fifth grade and and for whatever reason well i know the reason the reason was because um mom and dad found uh, an instrument very inexpensively uh was i played the trombone so they had there's some other kid who had you know decided mom or dad probably decided that this, their their kid was going to play the trombone and the 
elementary school band and the kid hated it. So then they were stuck with a trombone. So we were able to buy a trombone for a couple hundred bucks. Uh, and that, that was my first instrument. I played that in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And toward the end of my seventh grade year, um, something was said about kids who were interested in marching band. And, um, you know, I said to the band director, I mean, I'd really like to play the drums in the marching band. He's like, every kid in the high school wants to play drums in the marching band. I need somebody that can play a tuba and you're a big kid. So it's <laughs> you. And so I was just kind of like, Oh, okay. And I play, I never played the trombone again after that. Honestly, that, I mean, seventh grade year was probably the last time I played the trombone. And then I played tuba or sousaphone throughout the rest of my high school year, you know, eighth grade on through really my first year of college, you know, probably one of my great regrets, uh, was that I never did like even think about going out for the marching band, which, mm -hmm. which in hindsight, I, I don't know why, because I had a friend, uh, who's actually in the drum line. She was fantastic. had a fantastic experience. Um, and I loved seeing her in the band and I was marching band was an incredibly important part of my high school years. And, and so as much as I love the best damn band in the land and I'm a huge, huge stand for the band. I never even thought about going out for it. And I don't know why. I mean, I, I went to Europe twice with uh, the spirit of American national honor band in high school, once oh, in high nice. school, once in college and played sousaphone in eight European countries wow. over the course of two different summers, you know, played 4th of July, two different years uh, on Lake Geneva in Montreux, Switzerland for the uh, American expatriate club of Switzerland. It was really cool. And so I look back and I'm like, I really, that's one of the few regrets I have about my formative years is that I didn't go out for the band. Cause I really loved playing the sousaphone. And unfortunately, just like you said about the, you know, the French horn or some of these after that last tour to Europe in 01, I never picked up the instrument again. You know, mm, you don't yeah. just have a tuba laying around the house that you pick up and boom, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. I, you know, yeah. you just pick up the baseline to hang on Sloopy and go to, you know, it's, it, I, I mean, I guess, but it, so I haven't, um, I, yeah, I never, I never picked it back up again. I took piano lessons for a couple of years and I, you know, I learned to read music playing in the band at school and then took piano lessons afterward. Um, had one really great piano teacher and one really terrible piano teacher. I shouldn't say that she was terrible. She was probably a very good teacher, but she was that generation of piano teachers that had the ruler and racked your knuckles. Mm -hmm. uh, if you hit a wrong note and I, in a moment of reaction, one time grabbed the ruler. <laughs> I mean, I was probably 13 years old. 14, yeah. Well, you know, that's I'm understandable. I'm you a 13, 14 year old boy. Right. Yeah. She cracks my knuckles with the ruler and I grabbed it. And she said, what are you doing? I said, you're not, what are you doing? And I said, you're not hitting me with this ruler again. This is white. And like, that was the last time I took piano lessons from her. And I didn't, you know, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't, you know, there was no, I you was, have, you destroyed her, her myth of, of superiority and, and authority over you. And she had nothing else to fall back. She's like, well, then I can't <laughs> teach this child if she, if he's not afraid of getting hit. Well, so. well, what had happened, it's funny. What had happened? My grandmother and I, believe it or not, my grandmother and I were taking piano lessons from Mrs. White at the same time. Um, and she was a very nice lady. Mrs. White, you know, rest her soul. She was, she was a wonderful teacher, like I say, but she, you know, gram she and grandmother were basically the same age. And my grandmother is one of those people who could play piano by ear. Yeah. Uh, she had, for whatever reason, when she was a little girl, she had like three older sisters and they all got piano lessons and grandma was the youngest and she didn't. Uh, and grandma always resented that till the day she died, that her mother mm. never got her piano lessons when the other three girls did. And so she learned to play by ear. She had that talent and could play on Sunday at church and in the whole nine yards. Uh, but she wanted to learn to read music. So, you know, in her seventies, she took me and we were 
learning. Well, one day Mrs. White cracked grandma's knuckles with the ruler and grandma told her, she said, that's about the last time you cracked my knuckles. <laughs> and so then when that happened to me a few weeks later, <laughs> grandma and I decided we were, we were pretty well done taking lessons there. Now I get for you guys. Well, I, 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 I went and uh, took lessons from my kindergarten teacher. Actually, well, it was a wonderful yeah. experience, but, but I don't play piano today. Like I can sit down and bang out heart and soul um you know and okay. i can probably still remember when the saints go marching in and i can do the right hand of the entertainer by scott joplin <laughs> i can't necessarily remember the chords on the left so yeah. my answer to your question <laughs> after digressing heavily for a lengthy period of time my answer to your question is the instrument that i would really love to just snap my fingers and be able to play would be the fiddle and notice i notice i said it the fiddle uh because i want to play you know like uh uh, Charlie Daniels, not the virtuoso sure. in the Columbus Symphony Orchestra, although we are big, big, big fans of the Columbus Symphony Orchestra. I want to be able to just pick up the fiddle and rosin up a bow and that'd be fun. Play some nitty gritty dirt band or, you know, yeah. You want, you want, I guess the, the ultimate thing is if you want, you're going to be able to just like ultimately like just pick up something and, and be awesome at it. You want to do something you can entertain other people with pretty easily, right? So, yes, I think that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a good choice. So thank you for sending those in and uh, we'll keep answering them, especially in the off season because really ask us anything is our lifeblood. So we appreciate it. Great stuff. Well done friends. A uh, couple odds and ends here from the injury file and, and summer uh, press availabilities with the coaching staff, Ohio state defensive end Mitchell Melton will miss his second straight season due to an injury, uh, man. You know, I just hate this third year defensive end expected to miss the entire season after suffering a torn ACL in the spring game. Uh, the news that was, was every bit as, uh, and maybe more so disappointing was that running back Marcus Crowley medically retired due to his injuries after suffering another serious injury, Crowley unable to return to the Buckeyes. Uh, you know, injuries happen to every, everybody. Um, but man, those are especially with Crowley. Cause he, he was a guy you felt like had, had a lot of potential and, you know, if he could just stay healthy, would, would be a super productive guy and, and Ohio state's not hurting for running backs by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but for an individual guy, like that was one that just was a real, that was a real bummer. Yeah, it is. And it's unfortunate that this kind of part and parcel of, of the sport, but uh, yeah, it's, it stinks. And you never want to see a guy, you know, have to deal with that over the course of their entire you know collegiate career. It's just, it just sucks. We've spent a couple uh, shows talking about the NFL draft. And so I'll do a little shameless self-promotion for 11warriors.com. Dan Hope has the site's 2022 All-Buckeye team. I saw some folks confused about this on social media, so I will point out that this is the roster of active NFL players from Ohio State. Uh, I thought it looked like a pretty good team that Ohio State could field. You know, this is one of those things that over the years people would do a lot of times with, uh, uh, you know, say the Madden games or whatnot. If you just put together a roster 100% of Ohio State players in some years, those rosters look pretty thin. I actually thought this year's all Buckeye team, the depth chart wasn't terrible. Uh, you only have the one quarterback to choose from in Justin Fields, but you know, otherwise uh, wide receiver, you know, pretty good, right? Yeah, wide now. receiver. You're, you're pretty much you're running set. back, running back. Not bad. Not bad. Running back, De Not bad. Defensive line. Pretty good. Yeah. That's obviously, yeah. I mean, De defensive backfield, not bad. Uh, so, you know, there, there are, there are some really interesting uh lineup combinations there i thought i thought dan and the team did a really nice job on that piece yeah i agree yeah you should check that out 
All right, friends, uh, keep us uh, in your in your thoughts with regard to sending Ask Us Anything questions. Love to have those for you next week. We will have whatever's popping in the news related to Ohio State sports and all other things uh, Ohio State University related. Stay tuned for that next week. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. This is the 11 Dubcast.